Magazine to three. Sexton works on Irving, trying to get loose. He'll fire. He knocks it down. Osmond steps into a long-distance jumper. Allen to the bucket. He crushes it home. Off the Garland for three. He knocks it down. Drummond toward Valanciunas. Finds a cutter in a Coro, and a Coro thunders it home. By Kyrie. Sexton got it back. Nance for the tie. He knocks it down. Long hands it off the Sexton feed. Cavaliers by seven. And uh, Cleveland! This is for you! Hey, Chris Manning here from Locked on Cavs. Coming up on today's show, we're going to talk about Darius Garland, who's maybe having a moment of some kind, and we're going to talk about how the Cavs build differently than the Thunder, who they play later this week. That's all coming up today on Locked on Cavs, your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Today's episode is also brought to you by Michelob Ultra. At 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra Player of the Week coming up later in the episode. All right, Chris Manning, Evan Damrell here. Evan, buddy, what's going on, man? How are you? Not a whole lot, man. It is so good to be back on Locked On Cavs. Like I said, the first podcast to ever future a human voice, but I'm good, all things considered. How you doing? I I'm just observing your your descent into um, online chicanery, mm-hmm. and you know just observing. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm just sipping a delicious bubbly. Uh, this one's a mango passion fruit. It's pretty good. Um, getting hydrated for that vaccine tomorrow. Like I said, folks, if you actually wore your mask properly, maybe you can get Porter Jr. Still be a Cavalier, but that's an argument for another day. Um, yeah, but. Uh, I don't. I, I still don't know what you're talking about. Um, I'm. I'm. I'm just innocent. Um, I'm. 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 I'm just an innocent bystander who observes the calves. That's all. Sure. Sure, buddy. Okay. Um, let's let's start with Darius Garland. So, uh, we were thinking about what we want to talk about today. Thinking about sort of how we want to approach this. And Evan, um, I I think he's having something of a moment. I don't think it's like a grand like uh like thing you know i don't think it's like any kind of like wild like ascension but i i was looking at his numbers post the all-star break and here here's where we're at with darius um and from a small kind of a small sample size so to speak so since the all-star break 18 point 18.1 points per game 5.6 assists Versus 3.3 turnovers with a 24.6% usage rate. He's shooting 46.2% from the field and 43.3% from three and 4.6 attempts per game. Generalizing here, his scoring and shooting numbers are up. His usage assists and turnovers are about the same. Um, we'll give some more kind of detailed numbers as we go on here, but these are all obviously better than his first year numbers. He's coming off his career high in points. I, I think Darius is clearly a thing improving in front of our eyes. And honestly, like when I saw the number uh, that he's shooting from three, I did a little bit of a double take because it didn't totally track with what my, my brain was remembering. But if that sort of like where we're going with this that's a really really interesting sign and i don't know if he's going to take 10 threes a game that would be kind of wild but i i wonder if he starts pumping up the volume here and, and kind of trending in that direction um yeah i don't think 10 threes a game is really realistic for darius because i know 
at times he's starting to look a little bit more dominant more confident with the ball in his hands instead of deferring passes but maybe this is something i need to see more of but i know i said last night this is like the moment i'm talking about we're like okay i think darius garland is finally starting to build upon those flashes and i think like you said you pull those numbers out like his usage rate but the increase in scoring especially from three and then the increase in facilitating is just very all encouraging signs of growth that darius is starting to maybe feel fully comfortable in his body and he's starting to grow a little bit and uh we, we you and i both put an asterisk next to his rookie year because it just kind of felt incomplete because it just felt like something was missing and it was he was injured um for the majority of this not the majority but the better part of last season and he had some weird nicks and bruises this year as well but no darius is uh he's been playing really well and I'm starting to see the vision on why the Cavs view him kind of as the point guard of the future for them. Um, he's never going to be Kyrie Irving. But I think, Chris, let me ask you this if you think I'm wrong here. But do you think it's realistic for him to maybe get to, like, 18, 19, and 6 by the end of the year? Do you think that'd be, like, realistic scoring average, like, points and assists, obviously, averages for him to wrap up the season? about Probably about the same percentages as well in terms of shooting. I mean, he could average that for, like, a stretch, I think. I think, like, that where he's, like, I don't think he's going to boost his numbers that much for the whole season, but I think he could have a stretch to finish the year where he's, like, 19-9 and nine or something like that. Um, and, and, like, look, looking into his numbers, like, deeper, like, he's pretty much up everything across the board. Like, his three-point percentage last year, um, 36%. It's up to 41 this year. That's in the 87th percentile of point guards. Um, Non-corner threes, most notably, is at 40%, which is in the 75th percentile of point guards. Um, and an area he's still technically struggling in, but has improved a lot in, is that as of the rim. So 55% shooting at the rim this year. Last year, he was at 42%. Um, and in terms of the frequency of the rim shots, 29% this year, which is um, above 50%, up in the 50, up top 50% of guards. Last year is just at 23%. Um, you know, the floater, I think, looks a little bit better, too. The passing part of it is sort of interesting because... Mm-hmm. He like I I look at him and I think okay like he's got a high usage, um you know he's got a usage rate like in the 60, 61st, 61st percentile of of point guards at twenty six point three percent that's up about five percent from last year, uh, so it means he's finishing like a lot more possessions has the ball in his hands a lot more for Cleveland he's cut down on his turnovers by like about a percentage in terms of the the in terms of one percent in terms of the percentage. He's still like at a below assi- a below average assist percentage and assist usage ratio, and I don't have like the numbers in front of me to track like potential assists, but I sort of wonder if like he's playing with a little bit of better talent, if this some of the stuff yeah. evens out a little bit for, more in his favor, because I th- I think he's been like a really really impressive passer this year, and also like you know it couldn't have helped his numbers no no shade, but like you not playing playing with Andre Drummond for as long as he did and no Kevin Love and then not having Jared Allen, I think there's just some talent he's played with that haven't really like been elite at finishing and, and sort of like making shots that he's passing them open to or, or feeding them in the right spots. Like there's something to that in my mind. Yeah, there really is. And I think that's the interesting thing with Darius is I am intrigued by what his potential assist numbers are because like you said, it is really an upgrade in talent. Like having Kevin Love back certainly helps. I think Isaiah Hartenstein for as fascinating a player as he is sometimes, I think he is a really good pick-and-roll partner and can be useful in bursts for both Sexton and Garland, but especially Garland because that's who we're focusing on right now. But Jared Allen, too. Jared Allen is leaps and bounds such a better player to put alongside these young guards than Andre Drummond because Andre Drummond just rather would post up instead of operate in the pick-and-roll or operate as a rim runner instead. Um, Jared just kind of works as that as well. But potential assist thing i'm interested on because they're the Cavs are pretty bad for a decent stretch and just they had some bad tap players playing alongside darius as well 
So I would be curious to see like if you factor that in. Maybe it's closer to double digits than I think it is, but that's probably me being an optimist as well. But he looks really comfortable out there, and I think that's the biggest thing is he's confident and he's being aggressive. And I know for a fact like the coaching staff has implored him to be more aggressive and be more vocal, and I think Darius is more of a lead-by-example type player. But... Um, he's starting to look a lot better out there and a lot more comfortable and he's starting to really take the reins of his offense too and I think I'm not trying to say he's minimizing Colin Sexton but making Colin play more off the ball is going to make Colin a better player too especially if the Cavs do take like a Cade Cunningham or something in this upcoming draft and like let's say Cade gets or Cade bumps Colin to the bench like you want Colin to be more comfortable playing different roles as well and like I don't know Chris, you've said it. You've talked to a few executives. Like they think between the sex land tandem, the land in it is has the higher ceiling and better potential than the sex part of it. And I think games against San Antonio show it. And we've seen games of like this in the past, but that was just like his big moment as well. And I don't know. I'm interested to see how he respond or how he continues against Oklahoma City on Thursday night and um, or Wednesday night. Sorry. And then, or is it Thursday? No, it is but Thursday. We're Thursday. we're just we're we're ahead of the game here, buddy. Yeah, it's okay. Um, it's just a weird schedule for the Cavs this week, especially because they have back to back Saturday, Sunday, then back to back next week as well. But um, I'm interested to see what Darius does against OKC, and then I'm interested to see what he does in that back to back Saturday and Sunday. Like I don't know, maybe this San Antonio game is a step in the right de- direction. Obviously, not having Deontay Murray kind of made the Spurs dead on arrival in terms of perimeter defense, but Still a good defensive team in San Antonio, and Darius made them look foolish. I wonder if the Cavs start to lean on that more because he's starting to feel himself a bit. Yeah, um, to, just one other note I want to point out. Two other stats I want to point out here before we wrap the first segment. Number one, Darius Garland um, is actually like pretty close to even in terms of how many threes he takes in terms of pull-up and how many are three-pointers. 2.4 per game are catch-and-shoot, two a game are pull-ups. Uh, 43.4% on catch-and-shoot attempts, and then 36.9% on pull-ups. That's according to NBA.com backslash stats. That's encouraging that you would think he might be sort of comfortable playing off ball when he needs to, not just with Sexton, but if they add another lead creator like a Cade if, or or whomever. Like he, he should be comfortable kind of sliding in and out a little bit, which I think is, is good for someone of where he kind of be. And also just I, before I get the other side, I also want to be clear. I do not think everyone in the league thinks that that Garland will be better than Sexton. No, it's just something. It's just something some you've spoken to. Yeah, and it comes up, and it's like, it's. There are nights where, like, I think you can think it, and then there are other nights where, like, Sexton does stuff where you're just like, okay, Gar dares to have this in his bag. And that's sort of the beauty of them, is they're very different. And I think even if, like, you can have concerns about them both being, like, 6'1, and, um, you know, Justin's going to tweet us about the wingspan of Colin Sexton, I'm going to, like, roll my eyes, but, like, you can have concerns there, but they're both different. And I think even if like you can have long-term quibbles about the, them as a duo, like they do do stuff different and they are like, like Darius Garland's born in the year 2000. Like he's super young. The other stat, Evan. So since Kevin Love came back in three games and this does not um, wipe out garbage time. This does not wipe out any of that. The Cavs, and that, cause I can't, I haven't sorted that yet, at least out of the cleaning the glass data, but from NBA.com, Cavs are 20th in offensive rating over that stretch per 100 possessions. And with a 108.8 rating, that is 4.7 points per better per 100 possessions than their normal season average. That would not put, that still puts them below league average. It's not like they're suddenly good, but it bumps them up to like 20th in, in that stretch. Um, I'd say it's a hell of a lot better than they probably were before Kevin came back. You, you would actually, dare I say, love to see it. <laughs> Well said. 
Chris, I know he's not going to be our pick, but we should talk about our Michelob Ultra Player of the Week. Who do you think it is? I, I think it's Darius Garland. Look, I um, do too. Look, we're going to give our award for the Michelob Ultra Player of the Week now, as Evan sort of alluded to. And just so everyone knows, the Michelob Ultra Player of the Week goes to a player who sparks one of these three key emotions, joy, happiness, and enjoyment. Uh, we're here to highlight a player who has impacted one of those, has why, why they've kind of did these things, and I think it's clearly Darius Garland. This is a player who is coming off one of the best games of his career, if not the absolute best, a career high points in San Antonio. He's playing really good basketball, and I think this is a guy that, you know, um, when he, I think he's just, he's 21 or will be turning 21, like, he, uh, or did turn, yeah, he did turn 21. He can, you know, now enjoy a Michelob Ultra to, to cap, have a low-carb, low-calorie celebratory beverage if, if he so chooses because he's bringing and i think he's bringing a lot of joy to everyone around him with with how much he distributes the ball yeah no he really does spark some joy for me and that game against san antonio was a big thing and i'm pretty sure he is either 21 or close to being 21 so darius no, he's 21 because if you remember there was a thing where he put an instagram <coughs> post uh, he where is 21, 21 21 and that's a 21 savage thing and there was a bunch of reporters that asked him out of them the zoom call and they, or asked angel gray about it and angel gray had to explain it and it was a very awkward moment because i was like i know what this is but all the like people that are older than me and I'm old, um, you know, didn't know that. Just white people things. Um, I just know that because Darius is eight days younger than my brother. But Chris, why don't we tell the folks about how great Michelob Ultra is in general? Yeah. So if you don't know Michelob Ultra, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. Two point six carbs and ninety five calories. Joy creates success. Enjoyment isn't the end game; it's the whole game. Remember, check out Michelob Ultra. This is the Michelob Ultra Player of the Week, and uh, go pick up a Michelob Ultra and celebrate along with us also want to tell you about the Locked On Today podcast. Get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport. With the help of our local experts, follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Evan, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about the Cavs and the Thunder in terms of differing rebuilds. Um, there's a couple ways. What we do can... the Cavs and the Thunder have in common, Chris? This is a serious question. Well, I think they both have pieces that you would think are interesting. Correct? Like I think. Correct. But they also both desperately needed new uniforms. <laughs> um. Yeah, I also think they're like cities that like people like to dunk on, despite probably having a never been there or b just like leaning yeah. into biases. Yeah, that's that. That's the annoying thing. Um. I just hope there's one day where the ESPN anchor personalities of the world are forced to go to like, I don't know, Salt Lake City and um, I'm trying to think of an Eastern Conference team that everyone Indianapolis. Indianapolis is an all right city, but it's not the most fun city in the world. But like, get over it. Okay, OKC is a fun town, I'm sure. I've never been there personally, but as someone I'm who. Sure. Uh, if anyone is looking for a book to read, there's a book called Boomtown by Sam Anderson about Oklahoma City and the state of Oklahoma that makes Oklahoma City, um, in terms of how it was built and everything like that, um, and some of the people that have lived there and some of the things that have happened there, just truly one of the most interesting things I've ever read in my entire life. It is an incredible book, and I ha- and there's actually a ton of great stuff about the Thunder in there. It's like most, it's about the Thunder, but also about the city, and it's like the probably- Thunder. The Thunder are cool because they're like they're like the Pacers somewhat because Indiana is a big basketball state, but like Oklahoma state and Oklahoma are like the big dividing factors. And I, I want to say the thunder are the only major sports team in Oklahoma. I think there's like a minor league hockey team, but your point stands. Yeah. So 
it's like a uniting factor it's just cool to see like it enti- it's like i don't know i don't think the whole country of canada cares about the raptors but toronto and i'm sure there's fledgling fans everywhere but like it's it's just cool to see like an entire consensus care about a team i don't know thunder fans are neat and i always think their crowds are super fun because of how loud and obnoxious they were during the katie and russ heyday yeah so but i think what is these i think these two rebuild approaches are very different so obviously i think both teams have players that that are interesting and i think they can build with you look at okc they have lou dort and they have uh, more importantly shagage alexander um, I don't believe that Poku's real, so I'm just not going to acknowledge that Poku's real. That picture of him that was going around on Twitter on Tuesday was just, and Monday night was just like, this This, this isn't a real person. Well, he also is wearing a fanny pack, and he's not allowed to share what's inside it. I definitely want to know what's inside Poku's fanny pack. Yeah, I was a little annoyed that no one else in the lockdown group chat was trying to theorize, because I was just trying to have a good time. Got to tell you, Evan, the other, the other NBA chats that I'm in now, because of this, the other lockdown chats that I'm in because of the locker room deal, and I'm like talking with them. They're what? They're way more fun. We're kind of boring. We got to step our game up. I try to make it fun. No, you Nick, and I. Nick, you and Nick I. Angst, Nick Angstat doesn't like fun, and he kicks me out of the chat, and then I have to be a good boy for in his eyes. All right. Anyway, <laughs> I think these rebuilds are very different in basically every other sense. Um, OKC has basically just gone into like God mode with draft picks, right? Like they have so many picks. Them and the and the Pelicans um, are just overloading with picks. Um, they're 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 signing a lot of like really young guys, taking a lot of stabs at it, and that's going to be their approach, right? It's like they got Shea, um, they pivoted from Kawhi, from the excuse me the, the Russ and Paul George era by trading those guys away when when Paul wanted out and then Russ wanted out um, as a result, and then they get picks back. You know they get to trade to Adams, they get a pick or whatever. Like there's just a bunch of pick accumulation in post their stars for Cleveland. It has been okay. We're going to keep. We're not going to – the Sexton pick is the pick you could have theoretically gone all, all in on. You don't do it. You get Sexton. You take Garland, and you're you're adding – you know, you had the one draft where you got three first-round picks. The jury's still sort of out on two of the three picks. I mean, really, like, all three, you need to kind of see more sustained success from Darius before you're like, that's a home run. But, like, the other one of the picks is not on the team, and Dylan Windler has had, like, a very kind of innocuous start to his NBA career. The Thunder mm-hmm. are going to have way more stabs at this. But I also think there's something to be said of, like – I almost like I this maybe this is because the Celtics have just like botched this and the draft is really hard but it's like you can't almost have like so many picks that it's like hard to know what to do with it and you can like some of them are just going to miss that's just the inevitability of the draft so like I'm curious to what you think of just being like okay we're just going to our strategy is picks 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 plus player development like they have a, they hired their G League coach like like all that's true too but like their overarching theme here is picks 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 Yeah I I so I know we were just saying that people dunk on Oklahoma City for no particular reason, but let's be frank, Oklahoma City is a golden example of a team that needs to build through the draft. They did it once, and it, quite frankly, they are a good example of draft luck. Where they got Westbrook, they got Durant, they got James Harden, three MVPs, and they got Serge Ibaka, who is super useful. And then like Stephen Adams, they eventually draft down the line. Like that's super good. Like the Thunder have a good track record of drafting. I question some of their moves. Like getting Shea for Paul George is obviously a good step in the right direction. And all those picks from the Clippers that go with it is awesome. And then all the picks they got from the Rockets for Russ is awesome. And then the more picks they're probably going to finesse from other people for some of their players is also awesome. But the draft is a bit of a crapshoot. Sam Presti got lucky, very lucky once in drafting very well for a few years while they were... Was he with them when they were still in Seattle? Was he a part of the 
the crew when they moved to Oklahoma City. Uh, I want to say he was part of it in Seattle. I will look, but it's also notable that he's been there for like this whole time. Like he's been the architect, and like and like Cleveland's leadership has changed. Like that that is also a little notable difference there. Um, so he was with the Sonics. He was with the Sonics, and he was hired on, in 2007 as the GM of the in Seattle SuperSonics. Okay, so the Cavs need to find their own Ryan Reynolds. That's the first step. Maybe they have it in Kobe Altman, but. Sam Presti hit on a bunch of picks once, and maybe he has full faith in his ability. The Thunder do have a pretty good player development staff just based on some of their track record and such, and the fact that they kind of stayed in the house and hired their G League coach to be their next head coach. Like, I think that's full faith in their system and their player development as well if you're going the G League route, but... I kind of get the thought process, but the Cavs aren't really going to, we're never going to be in this position because the Kyrie trade yielded the Colin Sexton pick, Isaiah Thomas, Ante Zizek, and Jay Crowder, two players who didn't want to be here, then a player who eventually didn't want to be here, and then a guy who people think we want to trade, Chris, and then... After that, they go into full rebuild, and the Cavs have to rely on the lottery. Yes, like you said, they got the Houston pick. Then they traded four second-rounders in cash to get Kevin Porter Jr. The Houston pick was Dylan Windler. Uh, Darius Garland feels somewhat like a hit now. I'm still, I still need more of it to really say, like, yeah, this is the right pick. Because, But at five, it's also that thought exercise we've done a few times of who else the Cavs would take. There really isn't anyone there. Um, Dylan Windler, he's oft injured. KPJ's no longer on the team, but he's playing well with the Rockets. But this picks, 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 pick strategy, it, yeah, it has some validity, but it's also such a uncertain game, too, because I look at the Rockets, too. Like, the Rockets are starting from square one after James Harden. Like, they have John, they have Christian Wood, and they have Kevin Porter Jr. as, like, okay, these are somewhat pieces we have to build with going forward, but they're also still tradable assets. The Rockets have a crap ton of picks coming in for James Harden and Russ to an extent as well, but um, he, they got a hit on every single one, uh, the majority of those picks to make it worth their time, and that's the same thing with the Thunder, and like that's just so much uncertainty that it gives me pause, and then like at the same time, like yeah, you can have as many bites of the apples as you can, but also too many bites can be a bad thing because like the Poku pick... I don't know if he'll be a good player. I know draft nerds love him, but I also think he will blow over if a Oklahoma City gust because they have tornado problems down there. No, they, have, this, over. And they specifically also have thunderstorm problems in that city. It's a whole thing. It's why the Thunder is a good name. Terrible branding, though. They kept the temporary logo. God, I don't know, man. We're well, not they a branding. Th- Continue. We're not a branding podcast. I know, but great name, terrible branding, and I hate their stupid corporate sponsor who loves Truck Stop. But, um... Yeah, I don't know. I don't really know if this is the right method. I, I understand the validity of it, though, because you want to have as many bites of the apples you can when you're a small market team at the same time. Let's say the Thunder get a little bit of draft lottery luck. Let's say they get Oklahoma's own Cade Cunningham, and then your backcourt going forward is Cade Cunningham and Shea Gilchrist-Alexander, and then like your, your money there. like that, Those are two good hits. You can build around that and then just... Maybe use some of those assets to trade. Maybe land a disgruntled star like Paul George going to OKC was like a weird thing. And then Paul George is a bit of a snake, though, because he said he wanted to be there. And then he signed that extension. Then he wanted to be traded to the Clippers because Kawhi recruited him soon after. I don't know. It's weird. But uh, I don't know. Sam Presti's also just a very good GM, though. So I think maybe having the right guy in charge makes this a little bit more palatable. But if you put Cleveland in this situation, it would give me so much unnecessary anxiety. (laughs) Yeah, let me. I'll just also say the Poku thing. I sort of get because if you have all these stabs, like if you miss on one, and that's the kind of swing you take with like a pick that's just like a late first, like yeah, I agree. I, I, like, don't, I don't think the, the process there is bad. 
No, no. If the Cavs used their lone pick in 2020 on Poku, I would have probably been incredulously upset. <laughs> um, like, Isaac Okoro is the right call, but, like, I'm looking it up now. Like, Poku was the Thunder's only pick in that draft, correct? No. They traded quickly to New York, which uh, could have been a miss. And then they got Cassius Winston, who they traded to uh, Washington. Not a big deal, but the only, like, miss there is maybe trading quickly to the to the Knicks, but um, I don't know what they got in return for him at that point, but... I don't know. It's just an interesting draft process for sure. All right, let's take another break here, Evan. Um, we got some more bills to pay. First, I want to tell everyone about our friends at Bilt Bar. Bilt Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever, and the new improved Bilt Bar is even deliciouser. There are great flavors including caramel, briny cookies and cream, cherry barcia, and a whole bunch more other original flavors that are great and still in rotation are coconut almond, German chocolate, peanut butter, and banana bread. These are healthy protein bars, great for the health conscious guy. They can help you lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. They're low calorie, low sugar, high protein, and high fiber, and great for a keto diet. If you look at cookies and cream, for example, I know an absolute favorite of Evan, 70 grams of protein, delicious. 130 calories, four grams of sugar, and four grams of net carbs. Right now, get a free cookie with purchase. That's while supplies last. And go to BillBar.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. Again, promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BillBar.com. Well, BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA and the NHL are in full swing. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. They have real-time updated odds and props and on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. So, head to their website now and using your mobile device or computer and sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit only if you use the promo code Locked On. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts and the exclusive betting partner of the Locked On Podcast Network. Get more analysis on the top prospects available in this year's NBA Draft at the Locked On NBA Draft Podcast. Scouting reports, draft rumors, mock drafts, and the full coverage of March Madness four days a week from credentialed draft experts. Follow the Locked On NBA Draft Podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Probably the same place you find Locked On Cavs. All right, last segment here on Locked On Cavs. Evan, let's dive into um, some of the, the, the future... I just want to run through the Cavs future picks because it is actually a little bit longer and more detailed than I think, although it is not as splashy. Here we go. The Cavs will get a 2022 second-round pick from Houston. They will get a 2022 second-round pick from San Antonio. They will get a 2022 second-round pick from the Washington Wizards. There's something to watch there in terms of access. Their 2023 second-rounder from Denver that just protected has some protections on it. Um, 2023 second-round pick from from uh from golden state the more favorable of this and the cleveland one will go will they go to detroit the other one goes to detroit uh 2024 second round pick goes to golden state 2025 excuse me they get that from golden state with some protections 2025 second round pick comes from milwaukee and then they got a 2026 pick from the lakers a 2027 pick from the from the nuggets and a 2027 pick from utah then only going out right now a 2021 second round pick to the New Orleans that is from the Kyle Korver trade uh, that was then it got that pick got traded um, ultimately to New Orleans, and then another second round pick in 2022, and then a 2024 second round pick to either the Knicks or the Pacers um, that is the more favorable one via some various trade chicanery um, via the Jared Allen trade, and I, I think if I'm not mistaken, is how that sort of ended up with those two teams or or whatever or the year before I don't exactly know anyway. 
they ha- the Cavs do not have like the cachet of like first round picks, but I think it is very intentional um, on Kobe Altman's part. And I think if you want to like try to, I think if we're trying to understand him without hearing from him and not getting to ask him about this, I think you can look at this and say, okay, there has been a concerted effort by Cleveland to say, okay, we tr- we like unloaded the coffers um, to during the LeBron era. We are not going to go all the way that down that path in terms of accumulating picks and just kind of spinning that wheel on as many first-rounders as possible. But it seems to me, Evan, that they are getting all these second-round picks not just to use them because there's no way they're going to make three second-round picks next year, at least if guys are going to come over. But it seems like they're adding assets to potentially do something with these picks in some capacity. Yeah, I don't know. We talked about this before. I mean, in one hand, the Cavs do have some stabs at high schoolers that could possibly draft and then stash down in Canada and develop in their contractually linked to the Cavaliers so they don't run the risk of losing them in the G League draft or anything like that. But yeah, the Kevin Porter Jr. trade is the best example I have for this. The Cavs packaged a bunch of second round picks they were never going to use along with cash to a Detroit team that did not want to pay for a first round pick in 2019, and they were able to get Kevin Porter Jr. It's really smart business. That's a really smart business move by the Cavs. It's really smart cap draft capital management on the Cavs part. Like, couldn't do it much better than that. And I think the Cavs are kind of lining themselves. They're restocking the cupboard after maybe miss swinging and missing on the KPJ trade. And also, you know, they gave up a ton of assets during the second LeBron era as well. So you got to restock that cupboard too. But yeah, like you said, maybe if it's like a very early second round pick let's say it's like 31 32 33 somehow like that's essentially a very late first round pick just for a lot less cash maybe the Cavs hold on to a player like that but i'm looking at some of these seconds like there's ones via miami there's ones via the jazz there's i mean golden state i know is pretty bad right now but they could bounce back there's one via the bucks in 2025 um I don't think the Cavs are going to have much practical use for that unless it's like a draft and staff situation. Like let's say like it's an overseas player. But even then, I think the Cavs are going to try and flip those picks to teams that maybe don't want to have to pay for a first rounder. Um, and I just think that's smart strategy going forward. And also, it's just tough too because OKC could be in that position or like they're sitting on all these first round picks and then they're unable to move all of them as well. And then they're like, it's like you said, it's like a Boston situation where Danny Ainge has absolutely fumbled every single, not every single, but the majority of these recent first round picks that he viewed as like golden assets because he wasn't able to flip them for anything because no team wanted to commit all that money to a bunch of first round picks, um, in theory at least. And now the Celtics have a bunch of first rounders that probably aren't going to be able to, one, maximize and play to their potential because they have so many mouths to feed in Boston, and two, maybe a bit of a reach at times as well. Um so let me, Evan. Let me just ask you this: Which which of these models do you do? You, would you, if you're saying you got to, you had to pick one, and say I'm going to build yeah. this way, which one would you prefer? Oh God, this is tough because if you had Sam Presti in charge in Cleveland, I think, I think I see. It's just hard because the Cavs weren't in the same situation as Oklahoma City, so I haven't given this much thought because the Cavs didn't have the pr- issue of having to trade two superstars and Paul George and Russell Ru- Westbrook. Well, and, and, and the Kyrie, the Kyrie trade is the interesting comparison point, right? Because the Cavs didn't, the Cavs kind of tried to play both worlds in that trade, and I understand why they did it. Not to like criticize them for that, but they tried to say, okay, we're going to get a future asset, and because we sort of like probably know that there's going to be time with LeBron, and they probably had a good idea who's going to LA at that point. Just the reality of it. And number two, they also said, okay, we got one more year left to try and win a title. This is a win now move we can make, and that that's what they did. And I can understand that the the Thunder, um, you know, just got to go the complete other direction, and that certainly I think changed the package that they're willing to get. And they just like had the Clippers over the barrel to get whatever they wanted because Paul George was like, "I want to go play with Kawhi," and like 
the Clippers were the, like the we're, Clippers we told thing too is they, also their yeah. pick swaps as well. They're not just straight up first round picks after a while too. Like those get a little murkier as well. Yeah, but if like things go bad and then like the Thunder are in a position where they get to like swap, like there's value in that stuff, right? Oh, like, for there's sure. A lot of value in that stuff. Let's say like the Clippers flame out again. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if Kawhi Leonard starts flirting with Jimmy Butler in the Miami Heat. Like, let's just put that energy into the world to make Clippers fans anxious. But um, the locked on Clippers guys are good people. I don't actually want to do that. But um, if I had to really see, it's tough. I think I'd do a little bit of column A and column B if I have that option, but I don't think I do. So I think I'd take the Thunders route. As much as I was criticizing it, I think if you're a small market team like Cleveland, who also is in a glamour market like Oklahoma City and they have to rebuild through the draft, having multiple bites of the apple is a good thing. But also I think if you gave Kobe Altman that cachet of assets, uh, he did learn from the David Griffin school that you can make something out of nothing. Kobe could definitely make something out of something then because if he had all these extra assets, he'd be wheeling and dealing and trying to move further up in the draft because I'm sure there's a team who'd be willing to trade back in some situations too. Like, I don't know. I think if you gave Kobe Altman Oklahoma City's cachet, the Cavs would be a hell of a lot more interesting and they'd be major players at like deadlines and on at the draft night and everything and free agency and everything else. What would yeah, you do? Well, I... I... I sort of wonder if I like the Cavs model, and I'm. I almost sort of wonder if, like, I just my sensibilities prefer the other model where you're still going all in on player development. I think that's one of the things that, are, like, both these teams have to go all in on player development. But you're not so dependent on picks, and you're going to be able to like still build infrastructure in other ways. Um, I think that's kind of interesting, especially when you don't have like. You probably don't have your AA plus guy, and I mean the you the you people could quibble if the Thunder do as well. I think Shea's probably a little ahead of that, um, although he's you know he's had some injury issues and stuff this year. But like, let's put some air quotes around this because I think the Thunder are egregiously tanking at this point too, especially oh, my, in the, especially like, in a they're year sliding in guys on ten day deals and like trying to throwing them out there and like they they they're yeah it's that's it's very clearly like a little more of a direct tank than Cleveland. I think it would be really interesting if you could do sort of what Cleveland's doing and just be all in on player development where like maybe your head coach is someone like a GB bigger staff, but then like you, and you have your, you know, the Dan Garrett's of the world and the, the, the Cleveland assistants that do player development where Gigi Atla, you know, like works directly with um, Darius Garland, like pretty directly on that stuff. But I, like if you get like, or if you had like a David Vanderpool type as your head coach, who's really renowned for his development work or mm-hmm. like Phil Handy is like your lead assistant instead of him being oh, on a baby, like, I wish. You know, like Phil, Phil's like a well, well regarded like development guy, and um, you know, has obviously been working on title teams for years now. So like, it, it that's it, kind of an interesting little thing that I, I always think about. But mm-hmm. um, I I just think it's interesting, and I think you can't really go wrong with either way. I think the key is like get your early apex guy, and then it sort of takes care of itself. But in a world where like that's not always like plausible for a lot of these teams, but the talent level of basketball still is higher than ever. I think there are merits to both, and I'm kind of just curious to see how these play out. Um, but yeah. Cleveland probably sh- I, there's no odd jet from our friends to bet online but i, I kind of suspect the Cavs will probably walk through this game just to talk about that briefly oh yeah for sure if shay's not gonna play that's mm, darius garland may have a repeat game maybe it's colin saxton's turn um forgot how horford just straight up was sent home like the, and they, tra- I, they traded george hill they traded they traded former Cavs great george hill to the philadelphia 76ers like that's what i'm talking about like sam presti's really good at acquiring assets i still don't know how he's because that's just really incredible. Like, no pun intended. They caught lighting in a bottle when they had such an awesome draft streak of Westbrook, Wabaka, Durant, and Harden. Three MVPs. Like, yeah, that's just really, really, really lucky at the same time. Like, I don't know if the Thunder can do that again, but 
The yeah, draft is really hard. The draft it's is a really crap hard. Shoot. It's, it's a, really, yeah, it really is. hard. But like the Thunder have some nice pieces. I'm not going to dump on everything they're doing right now, but um I just like I don't know. At the same time, I just think the Cavs are going to walk through this one and we're, we're going to give a more thoughtful preview over tomorrow, but it depending on who OKC plays, I just think this is going to be a bit of a slaughter. I don't know if there's no rush to bring Jared Allen or Larry Nance back in this scenario or Dylan Windler because the Thunder are pretty bad. Like, maybe they obviously take this team seriously, but, like, you start to focus towards Saturday and maybe you have the team at better health then. Yeah. All right, Evan, just give everyone a tease about what we have going on later this week as we get out of here. Actually, speaking of Wednesday, we're recording Wednesday with the great Ashley Bastock, the best writer on the Cavs beat for the Akron Beacon Journal. We have that coming soon. We have Jackson Frank to come talk to us about Jalen Suggs and some of the Gonzaga guys. I'm going to ask him about Corey Kispert because I'm still very disappointed that the majority of you voted Kispert over Wagner. Uh, I think Chris is as well. And then after that, um, we're going to be talking about the remainder of the week and what's going on this weekend for the Cavs as well. Like it's going to be, it's going to be a pretty jam-packed schedule for us. And just thanks for being here with us. Yeah, and please join us for um, lunch with Lockdown Cavs, twelve thirty on the locker room. Download locker room app today, and we'll be very excited to talk to you there for a little Cavs AMA, some Jalen Suggs talk, a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, follow us on social at Lockdown Cavs and, and everything like that. But for myself, for Evan. We will talk to you tomorrow when, when Ashley joins us on the show. Locked on Cavs is your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast covering the latest news, rumors, and game action from the wine and gold. You can follow us on social at Locked on Cavs or give us a call and leave a voicemail and we'll answer your questions live at 440-673-3605. If you want to contact the show, email us at LockedOnCavs at gmail.com. And if you want to support the show, the best way to do that is by going to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and leaving us a five-star rating and review. It's produced and hosted by Chris Manning and Evan Damerl.